Thank you, worship team, for such a beautiful job of setting the tone for this morning. And good morning, church. Melekalikimaka. It's great to be with you this morning. Really excited and blessed to be able to bring the word of God before you this morning. Well, I'm excited. It's uh, December 16th, if I'm correct. And uh, we're in the middle of Christmas season. And man, it doesn't get better. Yeah, Christmas in Hawaii. The sun is shining outside. It's uh, 70 something degrees, about to be about 80 degrees. We just live in such a blessed environment. And uh, I remember I lived in the mainland for 10 years, so I understand what the winters are like. And uh, I think the older you get, the more brutal it gets. Um, I just received a text actually the other day from a friend who lives in New York. He used to live in Hawaii, and he just said how, how miserable he is, and he wishes he was back home. And uh, I, I don't blame him. It's, uh, it's pretty rough up there. Um, and it's, isn't it great that on Christmas Day we can actually go out and go, go to the beach? In fact, this year I think I'll, I'll send him a selfie from the beach on Christmas Day just to kind of let him know how blessed we are. But uh, like I said, it's December 16th. We're almost to the end of 2018. Where did the year go, yeah? Man, it just flew by. And today we're talking about, uh, we're in a message series called Christmas Presents, and um, it's all about God's presence, and I just want to invite him in. Would you please pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we are able to worship you freely, to just express our love and adoration for you. Thank you for coming, Jesus. Emmanuel. God, you're truly with us, and we ask you, Lord, to speak to all of us, me included, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to what you would want us to have this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, you know, Christmas season uh, can be full of ups and downs, right? Uh, Because of the busyness of the season, uh, trying to get all of these end-of-year projects done before the close of the year, trying to get shopping done. My wife was out shopping till like, 11 o'clock, I almost called the police last night, like, where, where are you? Um, and uh, it's busy, especially in the Salvation Army, of course. We're kind of like running a sprint, but also we're running a marathon at the same time. I think some of the staff can testify to that. Um, but at this, at this time, I just want to really stop and say thank you to all of you who have been engaged with us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to our community, to share the joy and hope that we have in Jesus Christ to our community, you know, you've been volunteering for things like uh, a touch of Christmas, these huge community events just the other week where we had over 2,000 people in our midst and we could share uh, the joy of Christmas with them. Uh, some of you are serving every Sunday faithfully. We thank you for that. And tonight, some of you are coming to help us bless the 300 plus employees that, we, that work here and their families. So thank you. We couldn't do church without you. Thanks for helping us do church as a team. Really grateful for each and every one of you. So again, Christmas season, full of ups, but also it's, it's also full of some stress because of how busy we are. Um, there's busyness, there's obviously finan- added financial challenges, and just with the lack of connecting with each other, um, it can be a stressful time. Three years ago, to about to this very same day, look, my wife and I actually did a, a sermon on peace, um, kind of following the theme of the Advent uh, series. We, we preached about peace in the home, so we shared some of our journeys of what we've learned, what the Lord has taught us over the years about making sure we had uh, peace in the home. And um, I wanted to take this opportunity to share some additional lessons that I've learned to be extremely beneficial 
to, to my wife and I, and I hope that it blesses you this morning. That's, that's my gift to you this morning, I hope. And it goes beyond just your marriage relationships. It goes uh, to every relationship that you have in your household. It goes to the relationships you have in the workplace, and even your relationships that you have with the round, world around you. Um, because we all have conflict in our life, right? Does anyone here have conflicts in their lives? Okay, thank you. I'm not talking to myself this morning. I appreciate you for being honest. Uh, Yeah, everyone, including Christians, have conflicts, disagreements in our lives because we're human. And especially for those of us with kids, you know, it's it's so critical, yeah, for us to get conflict right and to handle conflict well in front of our kids, to use the gospel to help us uh, heal through conflict because our kids are really learning to be like us. And I know that we're in the middle of Christmas season, and it is about gifts. Of course, the greatest gift of all is Jesus Christ. But may I suggest that one of the greatest gifts that we can give to each other, especially our family members, is a better version of ourselves. Yeah? Isn't that like what we're here for? That's what Jesus came, is to help heal our relationships and help us to become better, more and more like Jesus. So the question I have for you this morning is, are you growing into a better, more Christ-like version of yourself? I just want us to be honest with ourselves. Are we really looking more and more like Jesus year after year? And especially when we hit these busy, stressful times of the year. You know, for the sake of the kingdom, we need to be growing in Christ. Making Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord is the beginning of our journey. Jesus came to save us from our sins, of course, and to offer us salvation. And for that, we celebrate. We're grateful. But he also came to teach us about kingdom living, about restoring and healing relationships in our lives so that we can take this to the world and help the world around us to be healed in Jesus' name. And there's still more to be done in our homes, in our hearts. And this is the message I want to bring to you today. Jesus is not done with us yet, and his absolute best for us is still yet to come. So where do we start? I want to suggest that we start by looking at a topic regarding worldviews. And I put a definition up here for us to understand. Worldviews is really simply the perspective or filter on how we view the world and everything that happens around us. And you can even add, and how we interact with the world. So our worldview is very important, and it is influenced by our upbringing and our value system. And as Christians, our worldview should be different than the rest of the world. It should cause us to behave differently. Speaking of values, let's take a look at what it says in 1 John. And here's something that's pretty sobering. In John, 1 John, it says, Do not love the world, nor things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoa. Now, the authors of the New Testament, they didn't necessarily discourage us from our relationships with the world around us. In fact, they encouraged us to be in relationship with the world. But they wanted to warn us to be careful about not living in, in a way that pleases the world or man, but in a way that pleases God. And then let's hear the words of Jesus himself. He was saying this to his disciples. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And then in John 17, he says to God, he's he's talking to God about the disciples. He says, I have, have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So what is Jesus talking about here? 
Jesus is saying that as Christians, we are not of this world, that our ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, and likewise, we should be living with a different set of values. Jesus understood we would have conflict or tension in this world, you know, a world that values things like power, fame, and wealth. So here's the bottom line. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, he came. He came to turn our worldview upside down. Or maybe said a better way, he came to actually destroy our worldview so that we can have God, the creator's worldview, and that we can believe in the right things and start living the right way to experience the abundant life that he made for us. And why is this important? Why is what we believe important? Because, as someone once said here, and it might have been John Maxwell, you know, our beliefs, yeah, whatever we believe does drive our behavior, which then drives and, and shapes our character, which ultimately shapes our destiny. And isn't that so true? What we believe, we start to act out. How we react is based on our fundamental beliefs about life and what's most important. And as Christians, our worldview should be based on biblical values. But just because we're Christians, if we're honest, it doesn't mean that we have it all figured out. We're all a work in progress, I'll be the first to admit, and we should be growing in our Christian worldview. And as we do, we will start to experience, again, this abundant life that Jesus came to give give us. And that's a very good thing. So here we go. This is some things that I've learned recently. And the tool, it's just one tool uh, out of many, but this tool I want to look at uh, is to help us shape our Christian worldview. And it's called the drama triangle. And ironically, it was created by a secular psychotherapist named Stephen Cartman. So I've got to give him some props there. Um, and this was done back in the, the late 60s. So this triangle was designed to help us understand how we as humans deal with conflict and disagreements in everyday life. And I'm going to do my best to present a simplified version. And if you can get a, a little bit of this, it can be life-transforming for you today. So here's how it goes. Whenever we experience conflict or disagreement that doesn't sit well inside of us, we tend to view it through three roles represented in this drama triangle. These positions include an offender, a victim, and an enabler. Now, when I say offender, you're going to hear me also use the words villain or persecutor. And a victim, we'll just say victim. And then an enabler is also seen as a hero or a rescuer. Now, here's the temptation, right? The temptation is as as you start to look at this, you're starting to think about other people. I I don't want you to do that. Don't look at the person next to you. This is actually meant to be looked at ourselves for ourselves, okay? So try to resist the temptation of trying to, yeah, my husband is like this or my wife is like this. This is, this is about us, okay? Now let me describe each of these roles, and it'll become very familiar to you because you, you've heard these voices speak to us. The, the, the victim is a person that typically, typically thinks like, this always happens to me. You know, something negative happens. I can't, I can't get a break. Everyone is against me. Oh, you should feel sorry for me. Or it can come in the form of, I'm too old to do this, or I'm too young uh, to, to do this. I, I'm not good enough. I always get picked last, right? And this, the classic character that sort of captures this is Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. He's that, woe is me. Uh, the glass is always half empty. And we see this even in some of the heroes in the Bible. Like, for example, Gideon, when the angel of the Lord came and asked him to deliver Israel. No, God, I'm the least... Of the, of the tribes of Israel, and I'm the least of the clans within the tribe of Israel. I can't, no, not me, Lord. Moses even, even responded to the Lord God himself, and God said, I'm going to use you, Moses, 
to speak to Pharaoh. No, God, I can't even speak. I speak pigeon. I don't know. I don't can talk. So, I mean, it, you see this throughout the characters of the Bible. Elijah had this experience after he defeated uh, a lot of prophets, and even Jonah after um, bringing the message to the Ninevites. Okay, so those are some examples, and I encourage you to read those stories and, and, and gain some uh, Christian worldviews through their stories. The next character is the villain uh, or the offender persecutor. This is the person that, is, that can be controlling and, and tries to force things to get his or her way. They use their position of power or position to dominate. Today we say bully. That's a bully. And uh, that person can be self-righteous. And that person can also believe that he or she has the right to do what she wants because they're right. And they can take justice into their own hands. We see this character in the Bible with Judas And we also see it with the Apostle Paul before he was converted. And then, of course, there's the enabler and hero person. Now, while that sounds like it's a good place to be, this person is equally as bad, okay? Because this person takes on other people's problems as their own responsibility. They overstate their importance. And in a sense, they're pitting others because they believe that they're better than others. And this person is someone that contributes to the cycle of dysfunction. Someone who might have good intentions, but in the end, the conflict persists or even could get worse. And it could be even the victim or villain in many cases. So as a person, we all live in these roles. That's part of our fallen human nature. And none of these roles, let me make this clear, none of these roles is a good thing. And we see this in everyday life. Now, let me give you some examples in case some things are not coming to mind. Uh, When you're driving on the road, you're driving on the freeway, what's your immediate thought when someone cuts you off abruptly? What happens? Who, what, what do you automatically label that person as? Jerk. A jerk. Okay, that's fine. Yes, the villain, right? But what about when you inadvertently cut someone off, oops, and now the person behind you starts to road rage behind you. Now what happens? Yeah, so you can start to see even the flipping of roles there. We see it in sports, yeah? We love, we love the underdog, right? Because there's that bad, big, bad Alabama. I remember... Uh, I remember when I, w- I went to the Sugar Bowl when Hawaii, little old Hawaii, went to go play the big bad Georgia Bulldogs, and uh, we had some other teams like LSU, they were cheering us on, they were enablers, yeah, go Hawaii, we- we're cheering for you because we don't like those big bad bullies. So it even happens in sports, and we love to cheer for the underdog. Let me bring it home to a workplace situation. Have any of you ever felt like the company didn't pay you enough? Maybe they don't appreciate you enough, therefore I'm going to take some paper clips home and, and I'm going to slack a little bit. My break is going to be a little bit longer. What position are we then assuming? Yeah? And then politics. Oh boy, here we go. I'm going to talk politics in church. When you think of politics and you think of certain parties or figures, we automatically start to label, yeah? And of course, we're, we're on the good side. So regardless of the parties you're at, politics does the same thing. We start to put these worldviews in our mind. We have a tendency to associate naturally in our human nature to one of these roles. But here's the thing. We assume all of these roles, if we're honest. We bounce around. And I'll give you another example. Like when I'm driving, and I, I think I drive pretty good, uh, and sometimes I kind of yield through some stop signs. I'll admit that. Any police officers in here, I'm so sorry. Please don't arrest me. My wife will bang on the door and say, who taught you how to drive? And, uh, of course, in my reaction, I'm like, wow, how could you say that in front of the kids? Like, you're berating me in front of the kids. That is horrible. What kind of spouse or wife are you? And so you can see, actually, I started as sort of the offender, if you would. And then I quickly 
try to get off of that and I start to now try to point blame to her and, and try to point to her faults. So we can easily bounce around. We never like to play the victim role. We love to play, um, we love to point out, I'm sorry, we never like to play the offender role. We like to point out uh, other people are the bad ones, okay? So if we're honest, again, we can see some things in our lives where we do this and it does, it does not help our relationships to move forward. And this is why the manipula- uh, this uh, drama triangle is also referred to as the manipulation triangle because we can often manipulate uh, other people to think that they're the offender when we really are the ones being offensive. So how in the world would, did we learn this? Is it from our parents? Is it from what we watched growing up and what we consume today? I say yes and yes. Think about it. Did we all have parents that were perfect in conflict, that resolved everything perfectly? Of course not. We have parents that, have, that are human too, but we have the opportunity to get this right. And what else, do, what else contributes to this cycle of dysfunction? I would say that we've learned from a very young age, from the cartoons we've grown up with, real-life movies, that there's a bad guy and a good guy, right? We've been indoctrinated, in a sense, by the world into living in and responding with this worldview. Take a look. I mean, just think about it. The cartoons we grew up with. Some of you are old enough to remember the Wile E. Coyote, right? The Wile E. Coyote was kind of the bad guy, and then you had the roadrunner that was sort of the innocent uh, victim. But then, in reality, we realized that Coyote was a good guy, <laughs> kind of, sort of, and we wanted him to eat that roadrunner, right? <laughs> so, again, we, we, we get indoctrinated into this. all the movies we see, from Super Friends to The Avengers, there's true victims, there's heroes, and, of course, um, there's, the, there's the bad guy. And then it's in the songs we sing. If you listen to a lot of the songs, a lot of country songs, Why'd You Leave Me, Lucille? I mean, there's this story about heartbreak and being a victim. It's in the movies we've grown to love, Star Wars, Rocky Balboa. Um, and it's definitely in the TV shows we watch. Uh, Korean dramas are great. Just watch, yeah, some of you are hooked on Korean dramas. You can see that in there. Reality TV, murder mysteries. It's very highly addictive. Why? Because it appeals to our flesh. And so we really have to watch that. And of course, the news is great at vilifying people. So I want you to just really look and take a step back and look at how we're viewing stories as, as given to us by others. And the truth is, we really didn't need Cartman to come up with this triangle because this dysfunctional relationship actually started in the first human relationship on earth. It started with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And because of the fall, we inherited this brokenness when pride came into the picture. So let's take... Take a step back, go to the garden, and see what happened. The serpent, the devil, was actually the true offender and perpetrator who deceived Adam and Eve, enticing them to be like God if they ate the forbidden fruit. And here's what happened next, yeah? I'm going to read this very quickly. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She then gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He asked, answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit of the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, And what is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent 
You, the serpent deceived me and I ate, right? Now the Bible says that after they ate the fruit, their eyes were open. But the truth is they did not become like God as a serpent, serpent had promised them. We really don't know all that happened when their eyes were open. But we, what we do know is that from that point, they felt shame, fear, and guilt. The shame caused them to cover up with leaves. Fear, got, uh, fear caused them to hide and guilt caused them to blame the other person. Life became about self-preservation at the expense of the other. Then the Bible says that God spoke to Eve saying, To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. I, that really stings, yeah? In short, from that time of the fall, relationships, even to this day, became struggle, and we started to live out this villain, victim, and hero narrative to our utter destruction. In fact, since the fall, we were all born with a sin nature, and I like to say we all have doctorates or PhDs in selfishness and dysfunction. But praise God, he sent the answer to help us unlearn this vicious cycle. God saw that we could not fix this dysfunctional relationship on our own, so he sent Jesus. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us to bring healing and to help us navigate conflict by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at what it says in Romans. Therefore, just as one trespass brought condemnation for all men, so also one act of righteousness brought justification and life for all men. So through Adam, all humankind was condemned to dysfunction and judgment, but through Jesus, there's healing and restoration. And so how does this happen? As you grow in Christ, everyone, in his word, and learn to surrender to Christ more fully, you'll sharpen your biblical worldview. You'll understand more and more that your identity is in Christ, and it's not in these roles that we play. In Matthew 13, Jesus says something sobering about those who didn't have spiritual discernment when he said, while seeing, they do not see. If we're not filtering our world through God's eyes and values, we'll not be able to reap the abundant life that Jesus came to give us will continue to live chained up without access to our full potential that God has for us. So here's the way forward. Let's take a look first at this quote, which I think makes a lot of sense. Our habits of thought hold the biggest potential for change in our lives, yet these habits are the ones we're least likely to change, simply because so many of our thoughts run unnoticed in the background chatter of our minds. Yeah? Our, our thoughts, it starts with our thoughts, but then they're sort of in the background. But here's what Romans 12:2 says. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, which include the way we think, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know what God's will is, his perf- good, perfect, and pleasing will, yeah? And then in 2 Corinthians 10:5, I love what it says here. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So when we start to fall into these the drama cycle roles, we take captive these thoughts and give it to Christ. And that's where it starts. It starts in our minds. We were created to live in victory and not dwell in these roles. But it's only because God is with us and in us that we can have victory. So let's dig deeper. How do we do this? First and foremost, stop telling yourself the story. The natural mind, the mind without Christ, loves to engage in storytelling where there has to be a good guy and a bad guy. That's, that's the narrative the world tells us. There has to be a good guy and a bad guy. And when we do this, conflicts rarely get resolved, and we stay stuck. When we view life through the drama triangle, we're much less likely to have that crucial conversation that we need to have with that other person. 
we remain in relationship dysfunction and possibly worse, we end up becoming indifferent to each other. And I've seen this in marriages where there's two people living in a home, but they're pretty much strangers. We should not let it get to that point. And let me show you a better way to process this. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. This tells us our new roles. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And I love that the Bible tells us that as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. And our mission is what? It's reconciliation. Jesus said, blessed be the peacemakers. We are all peacemakers. And I'm going to say something that may cause you to, to, to disagree, but I'm going to say it. We as Christians, as Christ's ambassadors, we give up the right to be offended. We give up the right to be offended. As Christ's ambassadors, we don't have to live on the sharp points on that triangle, the roles of the victim, villain, and enabler. We can move to the soft sides of the triangle, which include responsibility, options, and compromise. So, again, I want you to think about a conflict that you have in your life with someone. Maybe as a parent, you know, it can be how you disagree with your, your spouse on how you discipline your kids, or maybe how you disagree with uh, how you spend your finances, where your money's going to, maybe how you schedule your lives, or how you deal with um, your in-laws. This is really key. So think about those things. Now, at, the first thing we do as Christ ambassadors is when involved in a conflict or disagreement, we're called first to repent and to take responsibility for your part in the issue. It's acknowledging that we, we all fall short, yeah? We all sin and we're all going to make mistakes. We know what Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Instead, let's see ourselves as a participant in the solution moving forward. It's changing our mindset. This is a big first step, even if something truly wrong was done to you. Now next, options. As ambassadors, we have to know that in a conflict or disagreement, there's more solutions available than what we typically know. But what we do when we're in a conflict and emotions are high, what do we do? We usually want to stick to our way, yeah? I remember a lot of arguments with my wife. No, no, this is the way it's got to be done. There is no other way, honey. (laughs) I'm not budging. Or in the workplace. No, this is the way we've always done it, and therefore we're going to continue to do it this way. We are not going to change, right? I've heard that a lot here at the Croc Center as well. We really need to seek God's counsel. God himself says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, my thoughts higher than yours. So what, is, what are we called to do? We're called to seek his ways. And here's how. But let's look at this scripture first. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, The temptations by the way, which includes disagreements and conflicts, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than what you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So here's the thing with God. You're never trapped. His promise is that he will always provide a way out. And this is one reason why we're called to be in fellowship with others. Because just maybe... Someone else may have an alternative way of resolving the conflict that's in your life. That's healthy. 
that's God-like. And that's why we value Ohana groups, and that's why we encourage each and every one to be in a serving team, working together, but making sure Jesus is at the center so that you can help each other grow in Christ and do life together. The other thing that the scripture says is that the problems that you face are not unique. We all go through the same challenges in life. You know, you don't have to think that you have to keep your your issues secret because of shame. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Take your issues, keep it secret, keep it... uh, Keep it covered up. That is actually one of the the devil's tactics to keep you in isolation. Whereas in God's kingdom, we bring our challenges, disagreements, and sins to the light where Jesus can bring healing. Okay, next and third is compromise. Finally, as ambassadors, it may require giving in to some of your ways in order to honor the other person you're in conflict with. Just like an ambassador working out working things out with another country. They have to negotiate. They have to give things up in order for there to be peace and an agreement between countries. We have to do that as well as individuals. And I would like to call it dying to self. Something that we're called to do as disciples is to die to ourselves daily. It honors God and it honors others in the process. And in the end, that relationship will be blessed. It's almost like losing a battle to win the war. In Matthew 16, 24, and 25, Jesus tells his disciples, If anyone wants to come after me, if you want to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Yes, while our default sin nature wants us to live on the sharp points of pain and frustrations, and we will do that from time to time, we don't have to stay there. And that's the whole point of this. We will still find ourselves assuming those roles, but we, have, we can quickly get off of those points. Now, just uh, some final words to those that have this disposition to live on those sharp points. First and foremost, if you, if you know that you're a, a villain, that you've sort of abused your power, just remember that your power and control was given to you by God to steward well in godly ways. You know, I love what it says in Matthew 5. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. The meek are not those who are weak, but but the meek are those who have strength, but they remain humble, those who do not use their power to lord it over others who are weaker. Use your position of strength to build one another up. Use your resources and position for the kingdom. Remember what Jesus says, to whom much has been given, much will be required. Now, if you're an enabler, if you're the rescuer type, the ones that like to solve people's problems, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to become a coach. You know, there's a quote that says, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. And that's a great quote. And, but there's a little bit of worldliness still to it. Here's how we make it better. The best kind of encouragement or coaching we can give, rather than make people dependent on us to survive, is to point people to Jesus, to be the true healer and restorer for their lives. And make sure they never become dependent on you but become dependent on the Lord. And as parents, there's parents in here, we really have to be careful not to be uh, rescuers of our kids out of every challenge that they face. They need to be able to stand on their own. They need to be able to fail sometimes. So as enablers, we have to be very careful to let our kids fail so that they can grow, within reason, of course. And finally, as victims, maybe this is where we actually spend most of our time. Remember, we have options. We are not powerless. We have God on our side. And just because something negative has happened to you, it doesn't mean God has left you or forsaken you. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, God works all things, even bad things, 
especially bad things, together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. For those he foreknew, he predestined to become like the image of his son. You can see the rest of the scripture there. God has allowed us to share in his victory, even in the midst of our suffering. And I know this is hard, and I say this with all sincerity. We can have victory through the most difficult circumstances of life. And remember, at the end of the day, God is the one who is allowing us to go through the difficulties for a purpose. It's our job to find out what that purpose is. And in our Bible, of course, in the Word of God, there's story after story of heroes of faith that has, have overcome these roles. They include Joseph, you know, who was, who was uh, sold as a slave in Egypt, and he rose up to become the deliverer of Israel. That wouldn't have happened if he, if he remained a victim. You have other characters like Ruth and Esther, and then the modern-day heroes of today include people like Nick Vujicic. This is a guy born without arms and legs, but he didn't settle uh, with a victim mentality, he rose up. He knew who he was in Christ, and he's doing amazing things around the world. And God has that same plan for each one of us. So here's what we, where I want to take this uh, as we close. Where do we go from here? I want to challenge each of us here to do a relationship assessment. Right now, just assess all of your relationships and what roles you play, particularly in conflict. But I want to give you a word of caution or maybe a word of encouragement just make sure you are filling your homes full of grace because it's very easy when you start to think of this triangle to start again pointing at someone else as filling these roles. I've done that with my wife. Hey, you're playing a victim. Not a good way to go. It's all about grace. Um, in fact, I should have said, I'm being a persecutor. That's actually probably would have been more appropriate. So we have to be very careful. But look at your relationships. This can start to change and heal and bring your relationships to a whole other level, not just with your uh, family members, but those in your workplaces and even in the community. Next, I want to challenge you to grow in your biblical worldview. Be intentional about growing in your biblical worldview by being in the Word and growing your faith. If we're honest, we'll all see that we still live with some of these worldly perspectives And that's some of the reasons why we still continue to sin, because we don't see sin as it is. As you grow in Christ and you learn more about God and his ways, your biblical worldview will grow. You know, God says again, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Get to know your thoughts. Get to know his thoughts by growing your faith. You know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. You know, next to Jesus himself, I got to say the Bible, the word of God is the most precious gift to believers It tells us about his love for us each and every day and how to live the life as a Christian ambassador. The enemy is working overtime, we know, to distract us. You know, ever since the fall, everything else is coming into our minds, right? All these other distractions other than Christ. We have to push those things out of our minds by pushing or pulling in the word of God. There's no substitute for this. And by doing so, it will transform your mind. Here's a scripture that I'll just have you read on your own. And finally, I want to challenge you to make Christ as your Lord. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you really can't have his eyes because it takes the Holy Spirit and his spirit in you to have the eyes that he has. There's no victory over the drama triangle if Jesus does not reign in our hearts. And we'll try to manage life to the best of our ability. 
but it's only going to go so far. We are in, church, a spiritual battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not really against that person that's sitting across from you. It's against the spiritual forces, as it says in Ephesians. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to fight this battle well. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't received Christ in your life to help you with your relationships, first and foremost to restore your relationship, your vertical relationship with the Lord and Savior, God himself, he's there for you and he wants that for you. And then next, he wants you to have him and his power by the Holy Spirit to also have this healthy relationship with others around you. All right, so that's it. Let's bring this back to Christmas. You know, we thank God for the greatest gift in the world, and that's Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. God with us to help us transcend the cycle of conflict and dysfunction so that we can experience life and all that it has to offer. And we get to share that good news this year, this Christmas season with others, so that they can experience his love and the healing that comes from it. There are homes here that don't know Jesus, families right across the street in the apartments there, the new homes coming up in DHHL and Ho'opili, and of course the community around us. The harvest is truly plentiful, gang. As a church, let's let God heal us so that we can also go out then and heal others. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. And we thank you, Jesus, for coming to show us the way, to show us what abundant life is really about. It's all about relationships, Lord, and you want us to do that well. And that's why you came. So thank you again for giving us the opportunity to live with love, peace, and joy, all the best things that this world has to offer in you, Lord. Now help us to take hold of the gospel in our own lives. Help us to make it real and to take this out, Lord, to the broken and hurting world around us so we can share this victory with others as well. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. 